The scripture we're going to be looking at today is John 13, 1 through 20. Title of today's message is Show Me the Savior. This message marks the midpoint of the Gospel of John. With the exception of the brief detour we took into the Imagine series, when we were looking at that movie and, and talking about some of its major themes, we've been in the Gospel of John since January of this year. And John chapter 13 is a natural break when you outline the Gospel of John and, and figure out how it was, was formed. John chapter 13 is a center break. Chapters 1 through 12 deal with the three-year ministry of Jesus on this earth and really condenses it. But now John is going to turn a microscope into the final 24 hours of Jesus' life. And it's such a, a close look at it that you don't see in the other Gospels. And I'm just really blessed by something we're going to be into for the next several weeks called the Upper Room Discourse. And we're really going to dig into the... Um, the final teachings of Jesus to his disciples. And over the last 18 months of Jesus' life, he's been dropping hints that he's going to the cross. He's been talking about his death. He's been talking about being raised up from the earth, been talking and, and just dropping all these, these hints to his disciples of, of exactly what is going to happen. And so here we are. The cross is looming. Within 24 hours, Jesus is going to the cross from, this, the, from what we saw portrayed here on the screen. Jesus is, knows that his time is very short. He is about to die the substitutionary death to pay for our sins. And his relationship with these 12 men is going to change from this point onward. He knows this. It's going from being a face-to-face, -face, close friendship, walking everywhere, speaking with people everywhere, healing people everywhere, and just being together 24-7, 365. And it's about to change from a relationship of being face-to-face -face every day and into a relationship that is going to be based off faith. And he's going to now start to really hammer down the teaching that he has, has been teaching them. And he's going to wisely use these last hours of face-to-face -face contacts with these men to summarize the last three years and bring it all together for them. And you're going to see as we go through this upper room discourse in the next few weeks, there's not going to be any more parables. There's no more illusions. There's no more examples. This is the end, and Jesus is going to wrap up the last three years within these few chapters of the Gospel of John. And that's what John chapter 13 through 17 is all about. And make more mistake, make no mistake, excuse me. Jesus' words, and more importantly, his actions during this time, are very, very deliberate and very, very thought out. So I don't think it's any mistake that Jesus begins with an action and an example of washing his disciples' feet before he gets into teaching them. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be answering the question, why did Jesus use these few precious moments that he has with his best friends and his disciples and his followers to essentially give his friends a bath? Why, why did he choose to do something like that? I mean, from our modern day standpoint, if, if, if today was my last day 
as your pastor and you are never ever going to be able to hear a sermon again, I'd, I'd want to be down here with a whiteboard and explaining salvation and, and, and scribing it out and doing everything I can to just cement the knowledge of God within your heart so you could really go back and, and think about it. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't go into gospel planning. Jesus doesn't say, Thomas, you're going to go over to India. Or Philip, you're going to end up down in Ethiopia. Or, or John, you're going to go up to Ephesus and be their pastor You know, before you're going to be exiled to Patmos. He didn't go into any of that. You think that maybe even he'd want to gather them together for a prayer meeting. But he didn't do that either. He does something that in his culture was so incredibly humbling that he even told them, you're not going to understand this until after I die. You're not going to get this, but I'm going to do it to set a standard for you so that you know exactly what a follower of mine is supposed to look like. God's ways are not our ways, amen? He does things a little differently than we do. So before we get into the exactness of what Jesus did, let's just ask God for, for His Holy Spirit to come and give us clarity into what Jesus did here. Father God, we just lift this, this time up to You. Father, this is such a seminal moment in the church of Jesus showing us Your heart for us. This story, this, this historical narrative gets overlooked sometimes, but it is so central to the heart of Jesus that it would behoove us to spend some time reading it, studying it, and asking you to use it to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts toward those we live around, those we come in contact with, and even how we treat each other here in this body of Christ. Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit's help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that John chapter 13, 1-20 shows us is that Jesus is showing us the gospel before he teaches us the gospel. From about 1921 to his death in 1955, Albert Einstein was a professor of theoretical physics at Princeton University. Everybody knows who Albert Einstein is, right? Big guy, big flowy hair. You see him in the pictures all the time. When it comes to the realm of physics, he was one of the greatest minds that has ever existed. His theory of general relativity, you've all seen it summarized as E equals MC squared. It opened the door to our modern understanding of everything from space travel to being able to harness nuclear power, both in a military aspect and even a civilian aspect, to power our houses, our can openers, our microwaves, our TVs, and, and things like of that nature. And within the university system, he was the head of the physics department at the time, but within the university system, they often make the graduate students and the students that are earning their PhDs do a lot of the teaching while the head of the department just kind of oversees it. And one of these students was teaching an elementary course called a 101 course, which is just a very, very basic course on elementary physics as part of them earning their advanced degree. 
Everything was going well until the student instructor saw Professor Einstein come in and sit in the back of the class to observe him teaching elementary physics. And the student saw Professor Einstein, the greatest mind in physics that existed in the world at that time, walk into the back of the classroom. Now, if you're a student teacher and a person of that stature walks into the back of the room, what do you do? Well, he went immediately from teaching a bottom shelf basic physics course to teaching doctorate level stuff right there. I mean, Professor Einstein is watching. I have to impress him. I mean, he's, he's going to sign off on my degree. I have to impress him. So he starts teaching, and you just saw the witnesses that, that were in the room that day, they saw, they just saw the, the students' eyes glaze over like, what? What are you talking about? And so he spent the next 90 minutes teaching, and everybody in the class is just kind of going, I don't know what this guy's talking about. I mean, he is so way over our heads, I have no idea what he's saying. And so they get to the end of the lecture, and the student instructor asks if there was any questions that he could answer. Well, in the back of the room, Albert Einstein raised his hand. Now this guy's on the spot. It's not bad enough that he had to watch um, him teach, but now the greatest mind of, in physics ever is about to ask a question about physics. So this student instructor, I would imagine, was just like, oh my gosh, he's going to ask me a question. Well, Professor Einstein just raised his hand. He goes, yes, Professor Einstein, what, what, what question do you have? He goes, can I just come up and, and, and do something really quick? He said, of course, Professor. And he comes up and he takes the chalk away from the student. Professor Einstein took two minutes, wrote some stuff on the chalkboard, and explained everything in two minutes what that person in that the student instructor tried to spend 90 minutes telling them. And in two minutes, he was able to do that. That's a sign of a truly gifted teacher. You see, Jesus has been teaching Christian theory to his disciples for the last three years. But mostly, they didn't understand what he was talking about. They've heard all the parables. They've seen the miracles. They have witnessed his character firsthand, but they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. They had no more understanding of what the kingdom of God was really like after three years than they did when Jesus first called them. So it's time for an object lesson. It's time, more or less, for him to be like Albert Einstein, come down and explain to them in a couple minutes exactly what he was trying to teach them verbally over the last few years. In John chapter 13, 1 and 2, it says it was the time just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And there's a, in some Bibles, there's a little footnote there that says, and then he showed him them his love. And I have to be honest with you, when I, every week when I, it takes about roughly about an hour to download the video from the internet and then edit it in a program and, and get it ready to show you on Sunday mornings. I was watching the actor who was playing the role of Jesus taking his clothes off and, and tying stuff around his waist and then doing that. And I'm like, gosh, do I show this in church? <laughs> and I mean, I was kind of making me uncomfortable, but then I realized, well, that's what the Bible said he did. And and because I was, I was a little, I guess, just weirded out is the best way to look at it, thinking of Jesus 
you know, actually looking like a Roman slave during that time, because that's exactly how the Roman slaves would dress. They would have a loincloth on, a pair of sandals, and that was it. And that's how you would identify them as a slave or a servant. And it's just not how I think about Jesus. I don't think about Jesus as much as a servant as I think about them from a Revelation 19 aspect. Revelation 19 is when Jesus comes riding a steed from heaven and they call him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, he's even got tattoos. He's got stuff written on his thighs. So he's, I mean, Jesus is coming down just as a mighty general. And that's, that's how I kind of think about Jesus. And intellectually, I know that he was our suffering servant. I, I memorized much of Isaiah 53. So I know he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. But to see it was another thing entirely. And it, that just kind of rocked me as I was preparing for this message. But back to the question, why did Jesus chose choose to take the last few hours he had with these men who would be responsible for spreading the gospel message throughout the entire earth and use this time to wash their feet. It's because the disciples were people just like you and me. We have a tendency to elevate the apostles and the disciples and, and people in their Bible, but these men were the same kind of people that we live here with in Trempeleau County. The people of the first century are the same people in the 21st century in this aspect. In that you can tell me about Jesus all you want. You can tell me what the Bible says about how the way I should live. You can tell me all this, but I want to see it in practice. That is why Jesus was washing feet. And over the last four years being a pastor of this church, I said many times how the most humble and humiliating job a servant could do in the first century was washing feet. It is the absolute worst position in the household that a servant could be assigned. It was, if you were on the master's bad list, that's the job you got. And yet Jesus used this as an example to summarize the teachings that have been going on for three years. Jesus' washing feet was a visual example of the beginning of his greatest sermon ever that you saw in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 called the Sermon of the Mount. And Jesus began that incredible sermon with these words. And this is what this foot washing is demonstrating Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What Jesus was showing them is physically demonstrating what he is about to do on the cross. And Jesus' actions are speaking loudly here, crying out to the, to the other disciples, and he's saying, I'm going to take away all the filth you've walked through in life and wash it away. Every evil place your feet has taken you, I'm going to cleanse it with my blood on Calvary's cross. Paul describes it like this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. But, verse 7, 
Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made, being made in human likeness, he found himself in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, what Jesus was doing here is answering the question and, and the challenge that people will give us in this day. You can tell some people about the gospel, but most people you're going to have to show them the gospel. You can hand a homeless person a Bible tract, but it's better to buy him a meal and sit down with him and share and talk with him and get to know him to see how you might be able to help him. We can all come to Sunday or to church on Sunday and we can worship, we can study, we can discuss, and we can listen to a sermon, but come Monday morning, are you willing to live everything we learn on Sundays? You see, this is the question that the church is posing to the church or the world is posing to the church. They may not be asking you directly, but they're telling us it through their lack of wanting to be here. Jesus is showing us the gospel right here. This is how we live the lost in these last days. And it all has to go back to the beginning in doing what Jesus told us to do in the first place. I do want to warn you, though, that some people will be suspicious of your good works. They're going to assume that there's an agenda behind it. That's why it's important not to do good works or do something for somebody else with a goal in mind. You're not seeing people as a project, as somebody that needs to be saved, but you're doing it because you love them the way that Christ loves them. And Jesus sees some of that resistance here with Simon Peter in verses 6-9. through nine. It says that he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you will have no part in me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who had a bath need only to wash their feet, and their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Now the video showed it one way. I'm going to break it down a little bit differently. And that is, I think what Jesus ran into here was Peter's pride. You see, one of the number one reasons that people don't want to accept Christ as Savior isn't as much disbelief or honest questions about the veracity or the accuracy of the Bible. They might use that as an excuse not to come, but that's not the central issue. The central issue is their pride. They see no reason to humble themselves or admit that they were wrong. The love of sin has to do a lot with blinding people that way, but the end of the day, it's pride that keeps people from wanting to serve and from wanting to come to Christ. And that's what I think is driving Peter with Jesus here. Peter is sitting in the upper room with all the other disciples thinking, but Jesus, uh, I don't know if you, you remember, but I'm the rock you're building your church on. I'm the head of these guys. These men all look up to me, and I can't make myself look at the same level as they are by you washing my feet. I can't yell at you to diminish me in front of them. I, I am the head. I am Rocky. Remember. 
So Jesus had to throw down that ultimatum. Peter, you better let me do this or you aren't with me anymore. So Peter switches tactics. Peter said, just paraphrasing what Peter said here, he said, look, I'll let you wash my feet. But you and I will have to go to a different room and then you're going to wash every part of me. If you're going to wash some part of me, you're going to do all of me and you're not going to do this in front of everybody. And that's the second point of resistance you'll see among those who have never truly accepted Jesus Christ. They'll say, I'll come to God, but if I come to God, I'm going to do it my way. And that's one of the fastest growing heresies we see in our church life today. It's the lie that says that all roads lead to God. And it's up to every person to take the path that they want to take. But Jesus didn't leave that door open to us. If you're going to claim to be a Christian, then you need to follow the Christ and what he said. He specifically tells people he has to be the one. Jesus has to be the one that does the cleansing. And Jesus is saying here, Peter, if you're going to accept me as your Savior, then you're also going to have to accept me as your Lord. I can't be your Savior unless I'm also the boss. It's not your will, it's my will. And it's this point that rubs against many people in the world today. They don't want to accept the lordship of Jesus. They want a little bit of this and a little bit of that. They want the love. They want the forgiveness. They want the celestial fire assurance that they don't go to hell. But they don't want to actually follow what Jesus said. They want to, don't want to admit that there's a power higher than their own intellect and their own feelings. They don't want to follow rules that they haven't created in their own minds that match up with their desires and their wants. They don't want to follow a system that tells them their favorite thing to do may not be the right thing to do. It's all about pride. Before we go to the next little sub-point here, I want to point out that Peter did learn his lesson. And he learned it well. In the book of Acts, in chapters 3 and 4, Peter and John are at the temple and they see a lame man. Peter miraculously heals him through the power of Jesus' names. The religious leaders gather and ask him, by whose authority did he heal this man? And Peter says that Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, and he has become the capstone. And then he says an incredible statement here, that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He didn't take the glory for himself. He didn't say, my power did this. He pointed them right back to Jesus. The gospel isn't about my way. The gospel isn't about your way. It isn't about the most popular way. But Jesus is the only way in which people can be saved. Amen. And it's through accepting the lordship of Jesus Christ and becoming his disciple. Amen. I agree with that. My name is John Oscar and I approve that message. Let's bring this to the application. How do we live what Jesus is teaching us here? We show Christ to the world by doing what he did. Several years ago, there was a very popular movie where an actor named Cubert Gooding Jr. played a professional football player and he won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in a film called Jerry Maguire. And a signature line in that movie to guide his agent and how he was supposed to negotiate contracts for him 
was this line. Show me the money. Show me the money, Jerry. That was his, his line throughout the entire movie. Earlier in the message, I said that the world is tired of hearing us talk about Jesus. The world is telling us, show me the Savior. Show me who Jesus is. Show me the love of God. Show me the kind of person that he wants us to be. You see, they want to see him. They want to see him in how we live our lives. They want to see him in how we treat other people and, and talk about other people. They want to see him in how we lift up the poor. They want to see Jesus in how we provide for the needy. They want to see Jesus in how we break the shackles of the oppressed. They want to see Jesus in us as we feed the hungry. And most of all, they are begging us, begging us to see Jesus and how we treat one another in the church. The world is crying, and I would say even spiritually begging for the church in America to show them the Savior. Like Jesus showed the apostles the gospel through washing their feet. I hope that is our prayer today.